Welcome to The Sustainable Life. I'm here with Chris Bailey. Chris, how are you? Good day to you, sir. I am good. How are you doing? I'm very good. And we are now setting the record for the longest time between episodes on my podcast. Oh. I looked it up. Oh. Your last episode was two year, was uh, 2018. Wow. And it was, I think, a single-digit number, episode number. And now you're going to be six. I don't think it'll be 700 yet. Wow. That, that's a huge gap. We should have done it one in between there, so it didn't have to be so long. I miss you. I missed you. Me too. And I also noticed that when you came on before, you had just published your book, Hyperfocus. Mm -hmm. And then I see that that has since been published in 27 languages. Yeah. And I had no idea my podcast helped you that much. <laughs> yeah. That every, everybody who reached out said, uh, yeah, I heard you on the podcast and uh, we, we'd love to publish you in uh, this uh, dialect of, uh, of uh, Indian. It's great. Thank you. I, 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 think, uh, I think I owe you some royalties. Actually, I did also notice that uh, you have a habit of meditating 30 minutes every day. Yeah. And it, it said, and Buddhism. Yeah. And I meditate now 35 minutes every other day. So mm. an odd number of days. And I wasn't doing that before, but it's, it's, uh, and it's a funny thing because people ask me about it and I don't know how to describe the value in a way that makes sense to someone who doesn't meditate. Yeah. And since we're going to be talking about your book, Calm, I figured this might be, a, maybe this is a good way to get into it. Yeah, it, it's funny because a lot of these things, you, you feel them, them working, but it's difficult to articulate. And so the angle that I like to, to talk about meditation from is the practical, tactical angle of it. And I really do think meditation allows us to earn back time. Uh, so for every minute we spend on the meditation cushion, we make that time back later on in just how we live our lives and especially at work. Uh, you know, if you look only at the work context, I, I meditate basically throughout the day uh, on, on work breaks. And so instead of watching a YouTube video, I'll just sit on the meditation cushion for a few minutes. And I find that it allows me to to regain control over my mind. And that's kind of the, the tangible angle is just how little control we have over our mind. It's always compulsively generating thoughts in response to what's happening around us. It's looking out for threats. We have this threat finding mode, which does lead to anxiety and, and away from calm. And we, we get distracted quite often. We go down these rabbit holes of not only thought, but action that aren't true to the intentions that we truly have deep down uh, beneath the, the layer of activity that comprises our day. And so if you care about intentionality and, and you know, manifesting your values through action, which is all uh, meaning is, meditation really is in a league all of its own. And you do get those tangible benefits, too, of, of making back time. That, that's, that's how I think about it, at least. Now, I, we're going to have to come back to this because I yeah. want to let's let's start with your book because uh, you, your new book out. Is it out yet? It's How to Calm Your Mind. Out Finding to, presence and productivity in anxious times. Yeah, the, yeah. This is. Uh, I think it's the best thing I've ever written. Um, but I'm completely biased, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it came from something told you that you were not calm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you share that? Yeah, for sure. And this is, you know, it's this is not a book that I intended to write. Uh, so my previous books, you know, Hyperfocus and The Productivity Project, um, they, they were on productivity, kind of the, the ways we can work more intelligently. 
And I found that when I didn't give that productivity pursuit boundaries, it was really the pursuit of, uh, of accomplishment that was, uh, driven in part by that, that pursuit of productivity. I found that I became quite anxious without even realizing it uh, at the time in my life. So, uh, you know, I had these racing, these uncontrollable thoughts that uh, arose a lot of the time, even though I meditated quite often. Uh, I had this restlessness, this feeling on edge. It was, uh, you know, my sleep was disturbed. I sometimes had this rapid heartbeat and I, I couldn't quite break through and realize that this was anxiety until I got on stage one day and had a panic attack in front of an audience of around a hundred people. And I remember getting on stage and trying to talk and it felt as though there were like a, a dozen marbles in my mouth that I, my tongue had to dance around when I was talking. Uh, I felt beads of sweat forming on the back of my neck while I was stammering and stumbling on my words. And I realized like, holy cow, I forget if I'm allowed to swear, but holy cow, holy Toledo, I'm ha having a, a panic attack <laughs> on stage here. Luckily made it through the rest of my talk on autopilot mode. But this was the uh, impetus for getting to the bottom of that anxiety that I was feeling at the time. Uh, I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know what the source of it was, uh, but I knew that it was a problem that I had to solve uh, however I possibly could. So that's when I hit the books. I dove headfirst into the research, the literature on these uh, topics. I realized at the same time that I was anxious, that I was uh, technically burnt out uh, as defined by the Maslach burnout inventory, which is the most commonly used uh, measurement of burnout. And I realized that I this was the mess that I needed to get out of and kind of hit the books and figured out how to do it. Re realized, you know, I, I thought there was a book or something out, out there that would help me solve this problem. But there is so much fluff out there uh, on the subjects of anxiety, of calm, uh, which is the research on the subject of calm is actually quite fascinating on the subject of burnout, too. Um, and just trying to filter out the stuff that was actually working uh, from the stuff that that wasn't was it was a challenge but happy to share what i learned from it it's that's the exciting part the the reward at the end is getting to help other people hopefully with uh, with the things that i learned the hard way yeah i want to hear about things like the difference between anxiety and burnout mm. and but i want to the title is finding presence and productivity now that yeah. sounds like personal yeah but then in anxious times mm -hmm. and now, there's a lot of people on this podcast, listening to this podcast, are going to be into sustainability. And there's a lot of people talk about climate yeah. uh, anxiety. And you talk about, I mean, digital and analog. I mean, everything's trying to get your attention. Yeah. What's the balance between, or is it, or is it all one thing of you personally or the, the reader personally and their personal situation versus mm. these times? Yeah. So that was the fascinating part to untangle in, in looking at my own situation and how that interacted with the world. Uh, we, we have kind of a messy picture when it comes to the anxiety that we face, uh, it, because a lot of it does come from that interaction with the, the modern world, uh, especially from a, a sustainability angle. Uh, you know, what a big part of that was chronic stress. Chronic stress is stress that doesn't let up. There's a lot of hidden chronic stress in our life that we choose actively to pay attention to because it's so comfortable. Uh, but that leads to burnout. That leads to anxiety. 
Uh, dopamine is another factor where we have these super stimuli in our life that are very difficult to resist in the moment. Uh, a super stimuli being a, a highly processed, exaggerated version of something that we're wired uh, to biologically enjoy. Uh, so, so pornography, you know, as an alternative to romantic time with a partner, uh, processed takeout food that produces just a, a ton of waste and externalities that aren't waste as well, uh, you know, that are centered around dopamine. But a, a huge uh, part that I found really interesting to untangle and deconstruct is this relentless pursuit of more. Um, you know, we have this natural tendency to strive for more at all costs. Um, and I, I think of the mindset of more as a set of attitudes that drives us to do exactly that, regardless of the context, though. Uh, and that's actually goes back to that idea of dopamine as well, where dopamine is often called the molecule of more because it provides the the underpinnings for this mindset of more where we're never truly satisfied and we're never truly present and focused and engaged with the life that we have because we're always in this acquisition uh, mentality. And actually on a chemical level, not to nerd out too much, but uh, on a chemical level, the acquisition networks in our brain are anti-correlated with the ones that support us in presence. Uh, and so if you find that as you crave more uh, or as you tend to more distraction, uh, you know, those are very dopaminergic brain networks uh, found in the research um, where acquisition or accomplishment is centered around that more and around dopamine. But what leads us to presence is uh, centered around um, uh, other neurochemicals like serotonin, oxytocin, which, you know, they lead us to feel proud and connected with others as well as, as well as endorphins, which can lead to a rush. But it, it's, it, it, that's just another fascinating aspect that I didn't really expect to find is how our pursuit of more can compromise, not just, uh, not, not just how happy we are and how much we savor our lives. There's actually a science to savoring our life I, I found as well. Uh, but just how much less productive that pursuit of more makes us quite ironically, because we would think that pursuing more would make us more accomplished, but it actually leads us to become less present at the same time. Sorry, that was like a 10 minute answer. I apologize, <laughs> but it's a complicated picture. It feels like the marketers have figured out like the way I put it is that in the industrial revolution at the the first one, Mechanical engineers tried to figure out how to uh, save us labor, like you know, putting a steam engine on a on a locomotive so that you, you could travel across the country really easily. Now I feel like the brightest minds of our age are trying to figure out how to and you produce dopamine, make you crave more. Yeah. Craving is the word that comes to mind when you say yeah. want more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we never truly feel as though we have arrived when we're engaging with things that are dopaminergic. And th this was the fascinating thing of looking at the research on, on this chemical is dopamine, the feeling that, that it leads us to is kind of a rush. You know, we have like a hell yeah voice inside of our head that screams as we engage with something that produces dopamine. But it never really leads us to that presence with what we're doing. Uh, we never really feel satisfied because it is more of a chemical of anticipation. 
than it is a chemical of pleasure. So we feel as though pleasure is right around the corner when we uh, engage with something that's stimulating. Uh, but stimulation is exactly uh, the problem. The, the more stimulated our mind becomes, the more difficult it becomes to engage with the world around us and find satisfaction with whatever it is that we're doing. Um, especially, you know, as you say, when marketers and uh, especially digital uh, data companies uh, can mold the services that they provide us so that they become more centered around dopamine. Uh, a good example of this is when the timelines on social media apps went from being chronologically arranged to uh, magically arranged <laughs> to with the, with the most delicious novel uh, dopaminergic sources of distraction at the very top. Uh, and novelty is indeed one of three factors that really leads to a, us to a, a greater dopamine rush. Um, you know, the variance on dopamine releases, uh, it, it's dependent on how much something directly affects our life, um, how, how we're wired. So, you know, you might receive a different release than I do from a different activity, but novelty is really the factor that the internet is centered around. We all have personalized feeds across the different apps because that's what leads us to the most engagement. That We spend more time in these apps and the data companies have a chance to make more money. Um, and you can't, you know, they're, they're a for-profit company. That's, that's how they're structured. Uh, but these incentives that they're aligned towards don't really uh, support our mental health, especially when, as far as anxiety is concerned, because you kind of follow the train. You know, you, you get the overstimulation, leads to an over-reliance on dopamine, leads us to become less present and less productive over time too, and just less with whatever we're doing and whomever we're with. It's a, it's, it's a difficult train to, to connect, uh, you know, when, when we're kind of immersed inside in it. But when you take a step back, you realize, wow, this is a bit of a messy situation that we need to get out of. Yeah, you mentioned social media and yeah. it's billboards and TV and doof. Oh, do you know my word doof? No. Is that around? No, no. What was what's that? Okay, so um I'll give you a quick explanation yeah. is cuz listeners they've heard know it. it. Is that uh people who write about food often try to talk about unprocessed ultra processed food and convenience food and fast food and junk food yeah. and they always have the word food in there and so people can say well it's not the best food but it's still food. And mm. I contend that when you refine out all the refined sugar, refined fat, and you know the bliss point with the yeah. salt and all, well, poppy and heroin are two separate things. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's not like ultra processed poppy. It's something different. And cocaine is not, you know, extract of coca leaf, and that stuff is not food. So, but putting the word food in there, people can say, well, it's not the best food, but it's still food. You know, when people say a single mom in a food desert, you know, with a dollar at McDonald's can put more in or can satisfy your kid's hunger with more, but th which is actually not the case, but yeah. difficult to access because these doof places are, are displacing them. Yeah. So I won't call that stuff food. No. I call it doof, which is food backward. Yeah. And I contend that it will change your life. That recognizing yeah. that and now we have kind of the digital equivalent of doof in, yes. in social media you know where it simulates uh social connection and so we feel as though that part of us should be fulfilled if we engage with it but it's really just 
the doof of the internet. Exactly. Yeah. Our, our doof describes much more of our world than I expected to when I just was trying to mm. avoid using the word food to describe yeah. what I don't consider food. Yeah. And so that's one of the big pieces of it. There's doof. There's all the advertising. I A couple of guests on this podcast play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I watched a game when they played the Giants. And I, watching TV is like... It's a very uncomfortable experience now. I, yeah. I hadn't watched. It's my first time watching TV for I don't know a year, or something like. Yeah. And I was, it was, it was just more, 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 more. Yeah. And it's it's crazy how much of our world is built around the pursuit of more, as if you know. I know you talk a lot about values on the podcast, of course, and and it's as if more is the only thing that we value as a, as a society. And it's such a, a frustration because, you know, of, of course, more got us to where we are today. You know, we evolved through history to be here today because we value growth, but there are definitely other values in addition to, uh, to this one of the pursuit of more, even though and the fascinating thing about this pursuit of more is because it's rooted in dopamine, it can become uh, addictive, kind of like a drug where the more we obtain, the more we want to obtain because that there's that neurochemical reinforcement. Uh, but, and I feel, you know, listeners of, of this podcast in particular are far more connected with what they value. Uh, but that's exactly, you know, one of the, the things that, that I had to contend with in this journey that became this book is uh, I really valued obtaining more of everything that I had. I had that kind of that pursuit of success. And there's nothing wrong with success, of course. And there, of course, there's nothing wrong with accomplishment, but goals need an endpoint, right? A, a goal without an endpoint is just a, a fantasy. And often that's all we get in, in this mindset of more. And when you look at the values that we tend to have, so the, the uh, theory of values that uh, I, I found to be the most uh, interesting and reliable from the research is uh, Shalom Schwartz's theory of values, where essentially values differ depending on how conservative or how much we want to move things forward we are, um, and depending on how much we focus on our individual uh, selves and, and the collective communities that we're a part of. And depending on the different levels of those two variables, we have essentially around 10 basic universal values as, as people. Uh, we have self-direction, right? This independence that we have is the first one. Uh, we have stimulation. A lot of people value uh, novelty, excitement, the challenge in their life. Uh, we have hedonism, right? That pleasure, <laughs> the gratification for ourselves. Uh, achievement is another value. Power is a value that not not a ton of people have, but many do. Uh, conformity, tradition, right? The, this um, custom, the loving customs of culture, religion, uh, the, these norms that we have. Uh, benevolence is another one. And universalism, which is one of my favorites that I think would uh, drive a lot of people to uh, a more sustainable life. Now, understanding, appreciation, uh, protection of people and nature. Um, and, you know, equality, this unity with nature, which I find to be a beautiful value. And so we all have different levels of these values that are essentially, and uh, I don't know if there's a, a right or a wrong orientation to, to be our default orientation. 
um, because we're all different. And that's one of the beautiful things about humanity is how different we all are. Uh, but it, it's fascinating when you look at the, this spectrum of values, how the ones that are expressed through modern culture, um, you know, this, the one you see when you turn on the TV is very much in a very, very narrow band of these values, uh, of just the acquisition of more that so many of them are centered around, you know, where's the universalism? Where's the, 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 uh, self-direction that we see. Um, and it's, it's really fascinating. I think so much of, uh, of productivity, you know, to, to kind of use that cold term, I think a, a term a lot of people see as cold, but I just see productivity as uh, accomplishing what we intend to do. And when what we intend to do is aligned to what we truly value, we feel as though our time is spent in a meaningful way, uh, because that's all meaning is, is when we notice ourselves expressing our values through our actions, manifesting our values through our actions uh, creates a, an immense amount of meaning. And so it, it really is fascinating when we see these examples of these values that are just diametrically opposed to who we, uh, who, who we believe we are. Was your experience on stage with the marbles in your mouth, mm. was that, did that result from, I don't want to leave the listeners hanging, yeah. uh, did that result from these messages of more, 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 and did it, were they taking from your values, and was that what happened? I think that Because yeah. I think a lot of people have had experiences like that, maybe not exactly like that, yeah. but where we just feel we've lost our bearings, yeah. and the anxiety is very high, and oftentimes we can't tell where it's coming from. Yeah. Where yeah, that was definitely a big part of it. I, I think, you know, it was kind of a a, a layered problem that that I uncovered. Uh, chronic stress was definitely a big problem. Uh, so of course, there's um, acute stress, which is once-off stress, and chronic stress, which we face repeatedly. And I, I had a lot of travel in my work at the time. I was traveling around the world to to do talks and do consulting engagements. And the consulting was very, very stressful for me. Uh, I think in a large part because of that value disalignment, where I, I felt like I wasn't really being true to who I was through that kind of uh, uh, kind of activity. Uh, and so I just cut it all out. I, I cut out all consulting uh, through today, just and, and I make less money. And I'm okay with that, because I feel more engaged in what I do. Uh, so the chronic stress was a big part of it. Uh, but also just how much of my life centered around dopamine. Uh, and I, I know people talk a lot about dopamine, but that really was the 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 variable that came up a lot in the research that I was doing. You know, we 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 need dopamine. You know, I'm, I'm not going to rail against the neurochemical too much. We use it to think logically. We use it to be creative. Our body relies on it for its, its basic function. So we can't, you know, fast from dopamine any more than we can fast from carbohydrates on, on that chemical level. Uh, but when I looked at that acquisition of more, which is entirely centered around dopamine, uh, when I looked at that pursuit of novelty in my life, uh, especially the digital forms, the empty digital forms of novelty, that was most definitely centered around dopamine. And I looked at that acquisition network versus the presence networks, um, you know, where I, I wasn't present in conversations. You know, when I was talking to people, I wasn't there. I was uh, onto the next thing in my head. And so it was a layered 
thing. But values, you know, beneath all the layers, that's where the values were. Yeah, kind of like I, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those orbs like at the novelty store in the mall where you touch it and then the electricity <laughs> kind of travels from the middle orb to your finger on the outside of it and you can move it around at the little electric bolt i don't know what and it's like a lightning all the time not lightning but like you can see it yeah yeah you can see it move from the middle to your finger that's like what values alignment that's the image that comes to mind in my head where we have these values that live at the core of who we are and we can feel them expressed in our actions and we feel like our time is that much more meaningful. Uh, whereas when we don't have that alignment, we're just kind of in that orbs default state where the bolts are moving around searching for something that it, it can't find. So, and I think the cover of your book is, I look at that and I say it's um, a rough surface of the water Yeah, and you, but maybe that would have been a good cover too. Maybe. I, I love this cover. I love this cover. More, I think this is my favorite cover out of all the books. Yeah, I was looking it up. I, where was it? On Goodreads? I forget where, but it got a lot of upvotes, the cover. Oh, no, it was on the... Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'll edit that, but it was on the gal in that galley page. It was got, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So we've been talking about the the difficult situation, being the anxiety. Yeah. There's also some words that I think are much more parts of your lives of your life now. You've talked about intention, mm -hmm. deliberate. Uh, you said control, and a lot of people sometimes control has a negative connotation, but I don't think you do. Purpose, meaning, productivity. So this is what you you're going to bring us to, the, where you brought yourself to. I think. Yeah, yeah, and that that I think is the critical thing to internalize is this word productivity. I think what comes to the mind of a lot of people is, is something that feels so cold and corporate and all about uh, efficiency and, and more, <laughs> especially. Uh, but I, I really just have come to see productivity over time as uh, accomplishing the intentions that we have. Uh, and so regardless of what your intentions are on a particular day, hour, moment, uh, when you achieve them, to use that word achievement, uh, you are perfectly productive in, in my opinion. So if your intention is to relax on a, a beach somewhere with uh, two pina coladas, one for each hand, of course, uh, and you do, I would argue that you're perfectly productive. And the same is true if your intention is to read a book and write several hundred words about it for some report and you know hire somebody new onto your team at work. Uh, while, you know, sending out all your Christmas cards, I don't know. Um, and then you do, I would argue that you're perfectly productive then too. But it, productivity really does come down to intentionality and deliberateness. Uh, so the more deliberate we become over the course of the day, uh, and especially when that deliberateness feeds into overarching goals and values hopefully we do, we don't always have perfect value alignment i don't you know I, I have work that i have to do that i don't really have a say over sometimes uh but the more we align to our values over time um you know definitely the more productive and accomplished we feel we we have that meaning at the core of what we do but intentionality is really what it comes down to so that's that's where the rubber meets the road is when we set out to do something and then we do it we're perfectly productive. And so much of that 
is benefited by a calm mind. And, and you've probably found this in, in your own, uh, by what do you call every second day? Is there a word for that? Every other day? Yeah. Uh, by daily? I don't know. Let's say by daily, <laughs> even yeah. though that sounds kind of weird. Uh, you know, you've probably found this though in, in your by, by daily meditation practice, uh, where a, a calm mind, especially one that's informed by meditation, but also from the structure of our lives, uh, is a deliberate mind, right? And a deliberate mind is a productive mind in this way because, um, be, because we aren't really phased by what happens uh, around us. And I think a good example of this, of, of the benefits of a calm mind, is looking at calm's opposite, which is anxiety. And this is a surprising, uh, another surprising lesson from the research. I, I was pretty sure going into this whole process, trying to clean up the mess that, that uh, I had in my own mind at the time, I was pretty sure anxiety went from, you know, really high anxiety on one side of the spectrum all the way down to, to no anxiety. And that's where calm lives. Uh, but what I found looking at the research, the research on calm is scarce. Uh, and that was another surprising uh, discovery. But the best research that I could find on the topic uh, shows that anxiety and calm are actually polar ends of the same spectrum. So on one side, you have high anxiety, but you can keep going down past the point of uh, no anxiety all the way down to high calmness, this uh, subjectively positive state with a low level of mental arousal. Uh, and so, you know, it's difficult because there's been very little research done on calm, but the research that has been done does point to this idea that we can get to this point of high calmness and benefit from all that it has to offer. So you can't be both anxious and calm. If you're the more calm you are, the less anxious you are. They're not two separate axes. Yeah, exactly. And it does, it does depend on the moment. You know, there, there is kind of the, the episodic moments of anxiety when we're late for the airport. Uh, and you know, events like that, the, the acute, stressors of our life that or anything we perceive as a threat will uh may may induce an, an anxiety response um you know so we can't we kind of fluctuate on this spectrum moment to moment but there is a center of gravity that moves over time because i was thinking that courage they say is not the absence of fear it's having fear but still acting and i was mm. wondering if is Anxiety is calm the absence of anxiety, or is it acting despite it, or is it something else? It sounds like it's something else. It's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what fluctuates as we go from a state of high anxiety down to a, a state of high calmness uh, is how we subjectively relate to our mind. Uh, so it, it's subjectively positive. Uh, we feel tranquil. We feel at, at ease. Um, as well as the level of mental arousal changes when we go from a state of high anxiety down uh, to a state of high calm. So we feel positive about our thoughts and our thoughts aren't uh, all shaken up. <laughs> and you were talking about how you get calm when, you're, when your behavior in life is aligned with your values. Yeah. And one of the things uh, a coach of mine once pointed out was that she would put things as how, what decision would you make when you were calm? 
which is to say when you're calm, your values are more clear. So I'm picking yeah. up an iterative process here that know your values to get calm. The more calm you are, the more you know your values. So I guess at the beginning, most people aren't going to know their values very well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. It, it is very tricky. And, uh, you know, I've, even after this journey, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, <laughs> not figure out, but still trying to really zero in on what my values are. Uh, but it's fascinating how much more clearly we see things with a calm mind. You know, a good example of this is, let, let's say you have to give a speech in front of a thousand people and that speech begins in 15 minutes. Uh, you're not going to be able to think about much else, right? You're going to be fretting. What, what if I, what if my mind goes blank? What if I mess up? What if I flub the first? What, what, what if, what if, what if, what, you know, as our, as our level of mental arousal increases before this talk, we're not going to have much focus to give to something else. You know, if, if we were trying to have a deep conversation, you probably won't be that present <laughs> and I can't blame you. Uh, if you're trying to read something and digest it, um, you know, you probably won't be able to because who could blame you? You have to give a talk in front of a thousand people in 15 minutes. Uh, and this is the effect that anxiety has on our cognitive performance. Uh, anxiety, just a, a normal level, not going on stage level. Uh, not, not that there is a normal level, but given uh, a stressful situation, so a, a form of acute stress. Uh, in the laboratory, our mind, actually, our cognitive capacity shrinks by about 20% with a small amount of anxiety. Uh, we become more distractible, so we find more threats around us. Uh, we experience more negative self-talk. We, of course, have less engagement and less presence, as, as we were chatting about, too. And so things take longer. And I think this is something that uh, people are missing with, with work right now, to go back to that context. Um, we tend to feel like we're slipping, right? We tend to uh, think things take longer. Like what, what took eight hours of work before now takes like 10 hours. So we find we have to work evenings and weekends. Maybe it's the fact that we have less of us to, uh, to give to whatever we're trying to do in the moment, that we have less of our mind, that we have less cognitive capacity. And so in terms of clarity of direction, clarity of, intention and clarity of action. So we actually uh, act in a way that is aligned to those things. Um, calm really is an, in a league all of its own. I think uh, that word productivity in the subtitle really does deserve to be there uh, av after going through the journey. I'm going to connect this to sustainability now Yeah, and the environment. Well, I think the it's rare that someone says, oh, I was out in the woods taking a walk among the trees. It was so anxiety provoking. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> yeah. Is the environment something that matters to you? Is it something you've acted on? That's a really good question. Over time, yeah, it, it has. And I I remember, you know, I, I think back to our last interview and people will have to replay it just to make sure that I'm, you know, that I'm not misremembering. But I feel as though when we were chatting last, I, I was I expressed that the environment wasn't really something that I thought much about. Um, it, it wasn't something that, you know, I had much mind for. And, you know, that was in the midst of being driven by by uh, other factors. But over time, I, I have thought more about the environment around us. You know, the, you know, I, I guess a, a good example is, you know, looking at an apple on, on a uh, on the table is I, I kind of think of where that came from a bit more. 
and the consequence when I order things off the internet, you know, I think about the boxes more. I think about where those came from and where they're going to go, even if I don't understand it much. And it's, uh, yeah, it is something I, I have thought more about over time. I don't think about it every second of the day, obviously, but, um, yeah, over time, I've definitely moved more in that direction. Well, I can tell you that if someone's flying around a lot, yeah, then their thoughts are generally going to be something like why my flight isn't actually no jet fuel is coming out of my plane or someone else's. It's like the plane was going to fly anyway. And it's, that's what I think where most people's thoughts are. But I, I put to you what, what, uh, when you think about the environment, yeah, like your experience in it, are there, is there any like quintessential moment for you that you, that you think about when you, like when you think about yourself in nature? Yeah. Is there any memories or, or experiences that, um, are the quintessential ones or, come to mind? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we love going hiking around. So I, I live in Ottawa, uh, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And around here we have the Gatineau park. We, uh, I, I live about three blocks from the Rideau canal is what it's called, uh, which is this beautiful, uh, body of water that f- freezes over in the wintertime to create the world's longest skating rink. And it's lined by trees and there's a ton of parks. I think of Ottawa as almost a nature city because there's uh, so many parks, so much. Uh, I'm looking out the window here and see eight trees, I think, if you want to count a large shrub as a tree. If not, it's seven. You know, we're surrounded by greenery and bluer, bluery here. <laughs> and so it's just it, and the hikes that we go on are just incredible, you know, feeling and and hearing the the ground beneath your feet. And it is remarkable that that energy that you have after being in nature is if you're just breathing in with uh, every pore of your body. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it's something that uh, definitely engaged more with over time. Did you grow up there? Did you appreciate it when you were a kid? No, no. Uh, growing up, you know, we were in suburb land. We were in a house uh, with a backyard, and we didn't go on many hikes. We didn't go on many outdoor adventures. Yeah. Were there any experiences that led to it? Like, was it a, a sudden transition or a slow transition? Were there times when you had an epiphany of, of I've been missing something here? Uh, not really. No. It was just kind of like, oh, this feels really good <laughs> to be surrounded by trees. But yeah, you described the um, the sound of of. Did you say the sound of the leaves under your feet, or like what are the? Yeah, the leaves, the branches. What are all the sensory experiences? Oh, it's the smell. It's the the petriture. It's the 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 sounds of of you know through Algonquin Park. The the most beautiful hikes uh, around this part of the province are around uh, Algonquin Park and Gatineau. Uh, got no park just when the leaves are changing and that that's just beauty it's the the smell it's it's every sense it's it's uh you know i see people who walk through and no judgment if you do maybe some people are listening to this podcast going on a hike but hopefully you have a, a transparency mode on on your headphones so you can hear you know the sound of uh, of the world around you there's just something that's so instantly uh, calming as well uh, about nature. And even how we look when we're looking at nature, you know, we use 
our periphery vision, which uh, actually calms down our, our nervous system when we see out the corners of our uh, of our vision just with our, our whole eye instead of being focused on one point in space. And I think, you know, when when I'm on a hike and looking over a vista of, of trees or hills, it's automatic to switch into that, uh, that calming mode of living. And I think of just that one small part of me is my eyes. Well, if my eyes do that, what, what, what does every part of every other part of my body and mind do? Uh, it calms down. It, it recenters. It's quite beautiful. Your ears, every pore, yeah. the smells. Yeah. It's, it's funny in, uh, not, not to, plug the 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 project because I, I know we're talking about you know sustainability now but i chatted with um uh, kelly mcgonigal who's a a researcher when we were chatting about exercise and it's uh you know we, we were chatting about that feeling of moving in nature uh so you know movement alongside other people is very engaging very calming uh even if it's done digitally over zoom even so when we all had to work out over zoom maybe some of us still are um that that was you know group movement in synchronicities is quite engaging as well as calming uh but when, when you do so through nature that is that that's kind of the when when you stack a lot of different benefits together. You get the benefits of movement, of the synchronicity, and you also have the the effect through nature. So I think it's no surprise people love hiking so much, including myself. Yeah, you mentioned calm. What other emotions do you feel when you're out there? The the ground beneath your feet, the the sounds, the smells. Yeah. It. I mean, you mentioned calm. Yeah. It. It kind of. You know so much of of those emotions you know what i i love about these hikes is uh the, the emotions do fluctuate alongside your thoughts you know you kind of you know if the center of gravity does move down that calm spectrum and it, it does fluctuate though the the emotions that i feel around what my brain is throwing up in that moment um and th this is an, another beautiful thing about about that time in nature especially not listening to anything at the same time is you wander and you wander to the the future to the present to the past you you think about ideas uh, i generate so many ideas on a nature hike um just because of that mind wandering mode which i i, li I like to think of uh, I, I call it scatter focus when we deliberately scatter our attention i always have uh, a notepad nearby to capture whatever comes to to the surface of my mind because there's always value there. And I, I think the emotions do, uh, do fluctuate around, you know, they go from, uh, engagement when there's an interesting train of thought, uh, to, you know, a, a bit of a lost feeling when there aren't thoughts on my mind to, uh, to a present feeling when I'm just savoring the, the nature around me. So they, and they vary a lot. I like these questions. These is fun. Well, they're building to something, which is this. Yeah. Is this the, the thing you were telling me about the, uh, what, what did you call it? Yes. Yeah, so the, the listeners, before we recorded, I always say to people, you know, there's this Spodic method that's coming up. And he said, surprise me. So I said, okay. Yeah. So we hit record. No spoilers. And we're in it. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, based on the the feelings that you have, the emotions that you have, the calmness, the... Um, you just had one that I... Um, engagement? Engagement. And 
Yeah, that you feel when you're there. Lost. Yeah, yeah the wandering. Yeah. I invite you, if you want to, to I, I think want of to. something to do to act on those feelings that you're not already doing. And I, I, I got to clarify something that everyone hears something that I didn't say. I'm not saying what can you do to fix the environment. This is not about helping the environment or fixing anything or anything. It's, it's you know, I, I hereby release you. It's, you can do it just for yourself. And uh, with three constraints, something you're not already doing, something that you do with your own hands, that you yourself do. Mm. I mean, you, you can involve others if, if you want, but you have to have an active role. And something that after you do it, you can say, you don't have to measure anything, but you can say, you know, in some way I left the world better than I found it. Okay. Would you be up for coming up with something to do? And then if you, if we do come up with something and almost everyone, if they do, then it takes a bit of time because no one has it like very well. Some of these, some do have something right on their mind. Like, Oh, I've been meaning to do X. Yeah. If you're up for it, then, you know, it takes a few minutes of going back and forth. Want to come up with something? And then I'd ask you to come back and, and share how it went. Yeah, sure. That sounds fun. Does anything come to mind right away? No, no, not right away. Picking up trash comes to mind right away, but uh, no. I don't know. If that's something that would feel like, you know, conjuring up those feelings of calmness and so forth, great. Although it does have a tinge of yeah. having to fix something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is the part of me that always wants to make progress. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that this podcast is about is that a lot of people people really meaning meaning well are saying it's really hard work if it doesn't scale it's not worth doing and and it's all extrinsic motivation and there's a joy that i think when people do things from their own intrinsic motivation they feel more meaningful and yeah. they feel more inspired and they want to do more although i don't want to lead the witness here yeah no yeah it's definitely something i've found in my own in my own days is when you focus on the extrinsic, especially the extrinsic success, even if a little success or a big one, you know, the more success, the more successful you become, the less successful you feel just because of that, that mindset of more. So yeah, just something that will lead to presence instead of success, I think is what I'm hearing. Yeah. You talked about hiking, but you also talked about and just walks in the park. Yeah. And you also talked about what nature offers. And so I think you yeah. were implying there's not only one way to get this. You know, you can't walk in the park, you can't go hiking, but there's other things. And if there are other things, maybe we can come up with something that you might share how it went. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm down. I can't think of much right now. But. So are there things you could do to make, to give you the feeling that you get when you're hiking other than hiking? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it'll never be exactly the same. The goal isn't exactly the same, but to, yeah. to manifest those feelings in some way. Yeah. What comes to mind for you for those, or, or do I have to answer? Yeah, that's part of it is most people, that's, most people have like a, something switches and they say, oh, you mean I can, and then they think of like all these things that they, they've been putting off or that they thought yeah. didn't count. And so they weren't worth doing because they weren't going to fix all the world's problems overnight. Yeah. Well, honestly, what comes to, to mind for the same emotions that hiking engenders is reading, uh, reading fiction, you know, getting lost in a, in a story. Although that doesn't have much to do with uh, sustainability, but maybe it could. Is it, um, so the, the, the constraint of 
leaving the world better than you found it. Mm. Now, it could be that if you're reading instead of something going for a drive, yeah. then that would do the trick. You know, and I'd, you'd come back and I'd say, you know, what, what was it like? You, you skipped driving and, and instead you were reading. I, I'm not saying you should skip driving, but if you're replacing something polluting with something non-polluting, that would do it. Yeah, okay. Have you been putting off reading for a while? Fiction. Yeah. Um, nonfiction I can plow through, but fiction, it takes me forever, <laughs> even though it creates those feelings. Yeah, it's funny. You, I, I read a book of fiction. Actually, the author was on this podcast, and I read one, and then I read all his books. Wow. And I was like, I've been putting off fiction too long. What, what is your favorite fiction book? <sighs> Whoa, that's a tough question. Um, I need inspiration here, man. Well, in terms of quality of writing, I, Lolita comes to mind. It's just stunning to, like, that guy loved writing. Um, also, uh, 100 Years, not 100 Years of Solitude. I still haven't read that one, but um, Love in the Time of Cholera mm. was, um, the tip of the tongue takes a trip of three steps down the palate to tap at three on the teeth. Lolita. Oh. I love, it's like a beautiful poem. To I mean, it's yeah. the first line, of the, almost the first line of the book. And then, it was inevitable. The scent of bitter almonds always reminded Dr. Juvenile Urbino of the fate of unrequited love. Is the beginning of Love in the Time of Cholera. And I could wow. decompose. I, I mean, I spent hours decomposing that sentence and the title of the book because, I don't know, to me, Love in the Time of Cholera sounds lovely, but cholera is not lovely. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And the scent of bitter almonds. One, one did win the Nobel Prize. Yeah. So there is that. Well, he won it first. And I think he, wait, did he, I think he won it before that book. Maybe, I forget oh, what okay. order. It but, says winner of the Nobel, oh, underneath the author's name. Yeah, so it he could be it. for something else. So would, I mean, reading fiction would fit the bill if it's something that you feel would conjure up those things. And yeah. is, you have to figure out the leave it better than you found it part. Yeah, I, I will substitute this activity in for uh, something that would not have made uh, the world and the environment better. Like a plane ride, or I don't know if I could sub it in for a plane ride. That might be a, more of a challenge, but uh, a drive. The next step then is to make it a smart. How how, how about this? Actually, I, I will uh, do the audio book of um, a, of a fictional book, walking somewhere that I would have uh, driven. Okay, now I'm, I'm thrown because you you earlier in the call or in the conversation yeah. you said you didn't want to nerd out or to be too nerdy. And I was like, you can't be too nerdy with me. And then we said yeah. a fictional book. I was like, well, it's gotta be a real book. No, you're, you're a purist. Uh, uh, no, I mean, a, a book of fiction is different than a fictional book. Okay. The book will be a not real story. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I, I'm, that was like me nerding out. Yeah. My wife and I have this uh, debate all the time uh, between fiction and nonfiction, because uh, my my take is fiction has its own word. Yeah, nonfiction needs its own word too, like faction or like factional or something. What do you think? I'm not going to get in between you and your wife. I, I think you should. Uh, if you had, to, do, does nonfiction deserve its own word as opposed to just not the other thing? That's what I think. I think it's best left as a as an open question in the sense of is a hot dog a sandwich or not. You just don't want to get in between <laughs> us. 
Well, I also want to get to the next stage, which is to make it a yeah. SMART goal, which you're already doing. But uh, I, I presume you know the acronym. Uh, yeah. Specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-bound. And can you specify what – you might not be able to specify yet, but can you specify specifically what you would substitute for and how many times or when? Yeah. Because – just doing it, you know, substituting a book for something at some point is much harder to do than specifically avoiding this thing with this book at this time. Yeah. But you know, you know, I mean, but you don't have to specify it perfectly. But um, yeah, can we make it a smart goal? I think so. Yeah, it's kind of. I don't know if you can hear my keyboard clicking, but yeah. So listen to an audio. So let let me write out S M A. RT here. So specific uh, is listen to an audiobook instead of a walk while doing errands. Uh, measurable that you would have that you would have driven that that I would have no substituting a, a walking errand thing. Yes, yes. Instead of or that you instead of a, uh, a a dr or an Uber, we we don't own a car. Um, measurable. Yes, I, I can measure my time in in the book. Maybe here's a fun experiment. I will only listen to this book while walking. So I can see just how long it takes me to <laughs> how much time I'm substituting in. Uh -huh. uh, attainable. That, yeah, it's definitely attainable. Um, what's the R again? Realistic. Re oh, yeah, this is totally re realistic. Um, and the T is time bound, right? Yeah. Oh, so I need the deadline for this. Yeah. And then we'll uh, have a conversation if you're up for it to share how the experience went. Yeah, I'm up for it. Uh, so, yeah, when would we, if we scheduled another conversation, yeah. what's a good time so that if we, when we meet then, then if I ask how did it go, you will have. Let's do by end of February. Okay. Because um, I, I already walk an awful lot. <laughs> so it, it might be challenging in that regard. You could also pick a long book. Yeah. Yeah, I could. I almost started listening to Moby Dick recently. But how long is that one? Uh, how long? I, I don't know how long it was, but very long. But I'll get to Moby it soon. Dick. Audible. Sure you will. <laughs> uh, 20, oh, almost a, a day. 23 hours and 52 minutes. All right. There you go. You can walk for uh, 24 hours uh, straight. Actually, having my um, apartment off the grid has led to a lot more reading. Although it's been mostly nonfiction, oh, books on Lincoln especially. Huh. Yeah. Not a surprise. All right. So after we stop recording, but before hang up, we'll get out the calendars and set that date. Yeah. And put the listeners at the edge of their seats. Yes. Yes. See how long. See how it goes. Yeah. And oh, I got a question for you. I, so I walked you through this process. Yeah. So you would not have come up with this commitment if not for me. Are you doing this commitment for me? Oh, probably. Yeah. So you're going to feel like while you're doing it? Uh, but I would do anything for you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what were you asking? When you're doing it, will you be thinking, oh, I'm doing this for Josh? Probably I won't be thinking about that as I'm doing it. No. Okay. Because hopefully by the way I brought it up, you'll be thinking of or somehow channeling the experience of the park the hikes but a different mm, hike yeah. you know a different mode 
think about the park. I wrote that down too. Yeah, the what I don't do in this process is to make sure that it's something big. I don't make sure that it's something that the New York Times recommends that everyone's supposed to do. Yeah. I think that if I do it effectively, if I tap into what is the person already cares about when they get to act on it with intent, then I it's different. And I've, you know, in the second conversation, I hear how it went, and I've never heard the same thing twice, even though sometimes people mm-hmm. have done the same things. Yeah. Love it. I'm excited to see uh, what we find. All right. Yeah, and if it happens that you finish earlier, yeah, let me know when we can schedule earlier because now I'm at the edge of my seat as well. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited to see uh, if, I, if I get through the book. I'll pick a half an hour long book. No, I, I won't. <laughs> oh, there's a, a book. I was just scanning it. I read it a long time ago. Chinua Achebe's um, Things Fall Apart. And mm. it's a pretty short book. But really, it stuck with me for a long time. Uh, also a Nobel Prize winner. The, uh, I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't do super long. I'll, I'll do like a standard long. But I, I have actually never listened to... Uh, a not real story based book uh, on, on uh, audiobook. I've only read them. Yeah, so that means this experience is so it really yeah. hits on on the something you haven't done before. Yeah, maybe I'll hate the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the physical book. Ah, I don't care if I walk into the cars on the street. We'll see. Oh, if you get it by li- if you get it by a living author, then you might get something read by the author. In in which case, it'll be that person's voice. Yeah, yeah. And the intonation that comes. Recording an audiobook is a pretty fun process. Uh, but I could see, uh, actually, I could see most uh, most uh, fiction authors being good at it. Well, before wrapping up, is there anything I didn't think to ask that I should have? Or anything that you want to say directly to the listeners? Oh, man. About... Uh... It could be about calm. Mm. It could be about the environment. Yeah, it could be about whether a hot dog is a sandwich or not, or what mm. to call fiction, nonfiction. Uh, yeah, uh, I would. I would just encourage people to really consider that uh, nonfiction books need their own word. Uh, it is not fair to to the category of books that they are defined by what they are not. They should be defined by what they are, um, and that's the first part of my pitch. <laughs> and I guess, you know, wh- one of the reasons we're chatting today uh, is the book. The The book is called How to Calm Your Mind. And it is available, uh, as they say, wherever books are sold. I, I think it's the best thing I've ever created. Uh, and I hope that it benefits you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.